First Timothy chapter five. I will be reading from uh, verse seventeen to twenty-five. Verse seventeen to twenty-five. It says, chapter 5, verse 17 to 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them. Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of the elected angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those they are not cannot remain hidden. Let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as we as I approach this topic that relates to my ministry, relates to this congregation, I pray, Lord, that you give me grace to communicate this message. I pray the Holy Spirit may empower us as a church to respond to your word as we ought to respond with obedience and faith. Holy Spirit, help us this morning as we look to your word and crave it in our hearts and give us the grace to respond to it in a way that glorifies your name. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So in my previous sermon in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse, verses 1 to 16, we saw um, Paul giving instructions for, for members of the congregation Ephesus to honor the, their widows. And I show you that honor in verse 3 relates to monetary support, financial support. In verse 17, Paul turns the attention now to, to elders. And the phrase double honor in verse 17 um, refers to this, uh, shows Paul, Paul's twofold concern with the, elder, the elders in Ephesus. And his concern is that they would be, uh, show the proper appreciation and respect for their position and that they would be financially supported by the church. Just to clarify, double honor does not mean double pay. All right. Verse 19. Look at me, verse 19. Uh, 17, I'm sorry. Let the elders rule well be considered worthy of double 
honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, by singling out those who labor in preaching and teaching, Paul is not excluding the elders who do not... Um, um, he's, he's not excluding the other elders, but emphasizing that those who give themselves to preach and teach as their full-time occupation should be paid accordingly. There's no difference among elders. They all share the same authority in the church. And according to 1 Timothy 3, they all must be able to teach. The qualifications for elders are all the same. However, some they have this position of prominence because they do more work. So what Paul is trying to singling to show the difference between these elders is that some give more time to this task of preaching and teaching. This does not mean that the elders should be paid, that all elders, Paul is not saying that all elders should be paid for their work. But he's saying that those who are in laboring day in and day out, the church should look after them. Paul is not defending the idea of a church planting model based on a full-time paid staff. He's not saying that as a church starts, all elders should be paid and all receive the same compensation for their work. Uh, that's not even a reality. It was not a reality in the first century. It's not a reality in our own context today. So that's not what Paul is defending in this passage. But again, he's just saying that those who are spending themselves in this task of caring for the church, the church must, must, must look after them, must, must provide for them, must support these elders. Now, Paul is helping the church realize that while some elders, and this is the context of the first letter to Timothy, while some elders preach a false gospel out of greed and sordid gain, we're going to see in chapter 6, but this is the context of the letter. This is one of the reasons that Paul is sending this letter and sending Timothy to Ephesus to combat false preachers, former elders who became messengers of Satan and are proclaiming a different gospel. So Paul is making this, this comparison some, some sort between these elders. So he's helping this church to realize why, why some is preaching because of money, because of honor and glory. Some are preaching for out of their love and they're spending themselves for this task. Therefore, the church should look after them. And at the heart of this letter, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, we see that Paul is concerned with the health of the church and the concern with its members. He's concerned from, from starting from, from the leadership, the elders, the deacons, and how they must be qualified and lead the church to the most vulnerable, the widows who are all left alone without family. So Paul has a concern in the general terms for this church. He's concerned for the health of the church because, you know, the health of the church will impact their proclamation of the gospel in their own 
context. It is true that the elder's responsibility is to look after the church. And our passage today shows us that one of the church's responsibility in view of its mission is to look after its elders. It's quite interesting to me to talk about this since I am I was an elder and I'm not exactly an elder in this church, but I'm a member of this church, so I stand in this transitional period. I think I'm not, I am one of the few elders who are not unique, or not yet elders, or maybe I was an elder. Um, we stand in this unique position. And yet it's, it's quite uncomfortable when we talk about this, because I'm, I'm, I'm talking about my very own ministry in one sense. So it is with much humility, and at the same time with much confidence in God's Word and what the Word says, that I, it is my desire to share, God, share this passage with you and call you to obedience. Not because I'm saying, but because the Bible says, the Bible is calling us to obedience. So, as we just sang in this song, I have no worth in my own, I have no authority in my own, but as I preach your word, I preach God's word, my urge for you is give ears to this. Follow with me. Look at your own Bible. And I pray that the Lord may give you the heart to respond. So we will be talking about elders. We will be talking about you as a church. So why in chapter 3, a few months ago, the elders were in the hot seat. Today, the church, you, members of this congregation, will be on the hot seat for a little bit. So it is not my desire to make you uncomfortable, but perhaps the word may make you uncomfortable, may bring you to realize that there are some sins in your life that you need to repent. And if that's the case, I pray they may repent and turn to the Lord. And in doing so, you will be blessed, and this congregation we will be blessed as we all walk in obedience to our Lord and Savior. Now, the first thing that I want to share with you, look at this passage and it's clear Paul's intention here, is that we as church members, we are to care for our elders. This is my first point. And one of the ways we can, we, Paul is telling to the church to do that is to care for them in their finances, and, and meaning supporting them financially. It's clear. He laid out in verse 17. He talked about the widows in chapter 3. There is no shadow of doubt. doubt. Looking at this passage, and Paul is calling this congregation to, to honor their leaders. And one of the ways to do that is to support them financially. Now, if it was uncomfortable enough to talk about elders, I'm going to talk about elders and <laughs> finances and giving. So it's a twofold situation. Now, when you look at verse 17, what does Paul mean by elders who, who rule well? What does he mean by that? Well, the context answered the question. The context answers the question. 
in view of these trained and sinning elders who are deceiving others with, with false teaching, to rule well means to be faithful to their task. In other words, Paul is saying to the church that the elders were faithful in their ministry, preaching the gospel and serving, not for personal gain, but out of their love for the Lord, are worthy of double honor. Rule well relates to obedience to the Lord and faithfulness to His Word. Those who are seeking to this, those who are seeking to this, this obedience and faithfulness to God's Word, they are doing, they are doing well, whether they are full-time elders or not. That's how we base that they are doing a good job. They are ruling well as long as they are being obedient to God and faithful to His Word. Naturally, elders have different uh, strengths and gifts, which may give some more prominence in the church than others. However, we as a church must be careful not to measure elders in terms of their professionalism, gifting, or education, or communication skills, or eloquence. Good ministers of Jesus Christ, they are sticking to, to the basics of what they've, they've been called, to the foundations of, of what... Uh, what they've been called that is to be, be obedient to God's word and, and, and faithful, be obedient to the Lord and faithful to God's word. They are good servants deserving of double honor. So, double honor, twofold concern. In view of the elders and their position of leadership, Paul not only wants them, wants these this elders to be faithful to God's word and obedient, but Paul wants in this passage the church to understand that these leaders, they should receive proper appreciation, or I would say respect for their position. Right? Proper respect for their position. And when we think about this, this is not something new. Paul is talking about in 1st Timothy chapter 5. If you look with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12 to 13, we see Paul's consistency in telling churches in his letters that they should respect their leaders. That they should, should, should show proper appreciation for what they do. Look, look, Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of the work. You see that the elders of authority... Is re relates to God's word. Not for what who they are. 
Not what, hey, what they have done, not their resume. God's authorities relate to His Word and be, relates to God's Word. And because part of and the main, their main job is to preach God's Word, the church should respect their elders because of this crucial work that they perform. In verse 18, going back to our passage, Paul grounds his instruction on two passages. One in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4, which says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. And the second one is, is a direct quote, quote, quotation from Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, in which Jesus says, The laborer deserves his wages. By quoting Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, Paul is not comparing elders with ox. That would be odd. He's not doing that. Let's just clarify. Um, but, he's, but he's using a... a, a Agriculture, agriculture analogy to explain a, a, a something, a, a, a theological truth. And I think it's worth for us to explore this analogy a little bit. So as, I was, I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I tried to find some videos in, in, in just to see what, what it means for an ox to tread, tread out grain. Never seen that. I think most of us never, never experienced that. So, believe it or not, this practice is still being done in some countries today. Uh, even though with all the technology, they still this very tedious work, actually. So what they do is that they put oxes together, they tie them together on their neck. Some would put a post, in the middle one, they tie this, this rope on the post and on the neck of the oxes, and these oxes will just walk around and around and around, treading the wheat to, to separate the chaff from the wheat. Others would just put these oxes together and would just lead them back and forth, back and forth on the trashing floor, treading the grain. It, take, it takes hours and hours and hours in this tedious work. And the shepherds or, 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 or the farmers, they just follow the ox as they are doing this tedious work back and forth. So what, now going back in the first century and even before that when the Deuteronomy was written in thinking about this, this agriculture analogy, what we see that Paul is trying to show this congregation that this work, this tedious work that the ox are doing, they're not supposed to the farmers are not supposed to muzzle the ox. They are supposed to have their mouths free and eat freely as they are working. And going back in the first century, not many could afford to have an ox. So they would rent ox from someone else. And this passage is just in Deuteronomy, just helping these farmers to realize that they are not supposed to muzzle an ox. And we see here God's concern for this animal kingdom, for, for, for the animals. Because some owners, out of their greedy 
and desire for gain, they would muzzle the ox so that the ox would not eat the grain and would not stop to eat, but would continue to, to do work on and on and on and on and on. They were concerned for more gain to, to leverage their, their gain and they would muzzle the ox. And in Deuteronomy, God is just speaking to them and saying, don't do this. They, they will work, allow them to eat freely and and, and this is a hard work already. Don't, do not muzzle the ox. The ox is supposed to, to eat. Now thinking about our passage in, in this illustration. Paul, Paul's point here is to show that God's concern goes beyond the animal kingdom. Paul is concerned with his people. In our passage today, with the welfare of of the elders and their families. And he's talking about the finances. He's talking about this, this financial aspect of the life of the elders. In 1 Corinthians, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 to 10. Because in this passage, Paul further clarifies this analogy. And he makes very clear what he intends to show uh, as he quotes Deuteronomy. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 to 10. He says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating, of, eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses... You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, it is for oxen that God's concerned. Does not he certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope of the in, in hope and the treasure trash in hope of sharing in the crop. Isn't that interesting that he's, he's making, he's explaining here for the Corinthians what he means by quoting Deuteronomy and showing that God is concerned beyond the animal king. He's concerned for these animals. They're working. They should be, be able to eat. But Paul is showing that God's concerned for his people. And in both passages in Corinthians and Timothy, he's concerned for the elders who are leading these churches. Now, the second quotation from Matthew is, 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 is a quotation of the words of Jesus that he said to his disciples when he sent them out to preach in pairs of two. He gave them authority to go into the village and preach the good, the, the good news. And he said, do not take anything with you in Matthew chapter 10 and also in Luke chapter 10. He sends these messengers and said, do not take anything with you. Do not take provisions. Just go. Preach the good news. I'm giving you authority. And as you go, if any house opens up, stay in the house. If they offer you food, stay there and eat. And then he says, the laborer deserves his wages. Isn't that interesting that Jesus is, is saying these words in this context as they are being sent out to preach the gospel? And he explicitly says to them, do not take anything. Well, he's teaching his disciples first and foremost that they should trust in God. 
First, they must, they must be obedient because he sent them out. He's given them authority to preach and to expel demons. First, they, they, they're not to take any provision. They're just called to go. So they must have faith to believe in what Jesus is saying. They must be obedient to go without taking any provision. And, and in hope, in hope and slash faith, that as they go and do God's word work, He will provide. He will provide. Because He said, the laborer deserves his wages. What kind of labor? Preach the gospel. You have to receive freely, preach it freely. But how does God do it? How does, how does God provide for his people? Through others. <laughs> he opened up houses. We we're talking first century. In our context, as elders are called to preach the gospel, is the church. They support its elders. Now, looking at this passage, the argument that paying for our elders is a modern idea is completely thrown out of the window. We just look at the, the overall context of this passage, 1 Corinthians in, in the Old Testament. This argument is not, it's not valid. There's no basis for that. In fact, we show, this passage shows us that elders have been compensated somehow for their work since the early church. And when the church obeys God and gives financially, you become partners in church missions by helping to provide for your leaders. Think about this as we stand here and Damon stands here and the other elders stand in this pulpit week after week being obedient to their call out of this love for each and every one of you and his word. They just preach the gospel. And then here we have 80, 70, 80 people. And then sermons on sermon audio. Then people listen to these sermons. How many people, how many hundreds of people are blessed by this? Are blessed by this, by this tedious work of giving ourselves to pray, to giving ourselves to read and read again and seek God's wisdom and seek God's guidance to come here on Sunday to preach not what we believe it is right, but what the Bible says it is right. How many hundreds of people are blessed by this work? Does the elders receive some sort of, be, be put in a pedestal? No. No. We know, in fact, that the order of creation, we are all equals before God. With different roles, different functions in the church. We're all equals. No distinction. We all have responsibilities. We all have a role to play from, the, from leader to the widows who are in need. This is your responsibility as a church member. Our responsibility 
is to look for after your soul, knowing that we will give an account for each and every one of you who are under our ministry. If it is that it's not enough weight for you for you to consider and how you give and how you serve, I would ask you, I would plead with you to pray and ask God to show you these things. Elders do not stand in here as long as I've been knowing these elders in this congregation. They do not stand here looking after what you had to give to them. But they stand here to give to you. And as I've been following more closely the lead of this church plant, I see a family who is giving themselves wholeheartedly for God's word. They do not ask me to say what I'm saying. But what I have seen, and I commend them to all of you as you think about your role to play in our responsibility as a church member. And even if you're not a church member, I would even consider, I would even plead with you what's hindering you to become a church member and be part of God's work here in North Arlington. I would not be talking about this if it was not part of my sermon. You can be sure of that. It was not part of the, the, the flow of this text. But I'm bound to God's word, and as we flow this text, here we are talking about these things. The second way that the church can care for their elders is to have their backs against maliciousness and evil accusations. The second way that the church can care for their elders is to have their backs against maliciousness and evil accusations. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The point here is that the church should not accept accusation against the elders unless two or three witnesses confirm it. Paul is not arguing for different treatment for elders. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, Jesus taught that an accusation against a member of the church should be dismissed unless two or three witnesses confirm it. With this, Paul is not saying that the elders are beyond accusation. He is concerned with protecting them from maliciousness and evil accusations. By arguing for the same process of church discipline, saying that if an elder... Um, by arguing for the same process that... Uh, uh, that applies to, to the church, to the elders, Paul makes clear that we are all equals before God. Elders should not receive any different treatment if they are found in sin, if they are found straying from the work, if they are found not being faithful to God's word. 
There's no different process for church. This applies to all. Even for leaders. Verse 20 further clarifies this process of discipline. Saying that if an elder, after being confronted, continues in sin, he should be disciplined before all. Why? So that the other elders and the congregation may stand in the fear of the Lord. Since the process for church discipline is the same for the church and elders, the goal is the same. Restoration. Restoration. What follows in verse 21 is a warning for Timothy and the church to take care that they are being just and sober in their judgment. They are not to, to discipline out of vin, vin, vindicative. Vindicative. <laughs> you know that I practice this word, right? Most of the words that you see myself stumbling here, I try to practice at home. And I think because I practice at home and I try not, I get nervous when it comes to this word. I say, it's, it's coming. And then when it comes, I stumble. So, just know that. So, I'll try it again. They are not to discipline out of vindicative motives or partiality. Why? Because as God's elect on earth, Timothy and the church are acting as God's agents and representatives in their decisions who also someday be judged. Hmm. In reflecting on this, a commentator said, and I quote, Timothy and the church were not to permit their personal prejudice to tip the scale of justice and incur judgment on themselves. So they must be, they must make, make sure that they're, they're being very careful and sober in the approach of this process and in investigating accusations against their elders. Now maybe, I'm not sure if some of you know it, but Jonathan Elders in the 17th century, he was fired from his congregation. Do you, some of you know that? He was fired from his congregation. After 10 years in ministry, 11 to 12 serving in a church in, in Massachusetts, he was fired. Only 10% of the church vote to keep him in. So the same church that vote him to become their elder, the same church that vote him to, to fire him. And the main reason for this was in regards of the Lord's Supper. He had a different view from, his, from the previous pastor in regards of the Lord's Supper. In his view, only those who are regenerated, who had been born again, are to take Lord's Supper. And there was not a position that the previous elder, the previous pastor, held in this congregation and it caused a, a discomfort in this congregation. But this is actually our position as a church. Lord's Supper is not just one thing, part of the, um, the worship service, 
but is a crucial aspect of what we do. And as it is my understanding, when we look to the Lord's Supper and Jesus' command for us to observe Lord's Supper, it's clear that that's for His church. And His church are those who are saved, those who have been baptized and received Christ as the Lord and Savior. That was the position that Jonathan defended, and it caused some, some discomfort among the congregation, and eventually he was voted out. That was unfortunate, but it happened to him. And, and later on, he wrote a book on, on a very gracious book, that encourage, encouraging um, our leaders to be very patient and, pers and persevere in their ministry and not to take accusations and, and, and things like this personally because he understood that God has a plan in his life and he was able to serve in a different capacity later on. Um, so I'm just showing this that all things must be investigated properly. All things must be in a soberly manner. We must analyze these things. Jonathan Edwards, he was not arguing for anything different than the, the church fathers actually argued, starting with Augustine. But this church, unfortunately, um, perhaps they did not take the time. There are many things that it's hard for us to understand. We are, we are separated from hundreds of years. Um, I'm just showing this situation to highlight the importance for us to analyze all things. Right? With the proper discernment. And also because in an age of, of internet and, and social media, we all have seen religious leaders, political leaders being slandered for sometimes a, a, a phrase that they said it is taken or a clip from a video is taken and, po and posted on the internet out of context. They take something out of context, put in some, somewhere in a social media in, to make a point, and then people start slandering, saying all sorts of things. And we as Christians, we are called to be the most discerning people on earth. So when we see these things, we must ask the question, is that so? What is the context of this? Regardless if it is a political leader, but even more so towards religious leaders in our own local church, in the church at large. We must be discerning. We must be careful. We must be careful in how we respond to these things. Because sometimes, depending on what's going on outside of in the world, we see these posts out of context and we sometimes connect those things and we end up making conclusions they are not true. So let's just make sure that we are being careful and um, wise. Our elders are not perfect, are they? You all know that they are not. But as most of you know, they are men of God who love Him and love all of you. Perhaps they don't always get things right. 
let's make sure that we are being wise and we are having their backs. We are praying for them. We are caring for their family. We are caring for their souls. We are caring for their physical needs. They need us. I just want also to make sure that we as a church, as we're trying to be wise, that we are not overlooking sin. Either, even, even if it is in our leader's life, we should not overlook sin. That's not what I'm saying. But if that happens, we must make sure that we are going to apply biblical discipline. We must follow biblical guidelines. And they are very clear in Matthew chapter 18 for church member, church members and elders. Now in verse 20, 22 to 25, Paul warns Timothy against a hasty ordination of men to ministry. Paul's point is that the church should take the time to evaluate someone's life before ordaining them to ministry. How long this process should be, Paul is not clear. But we can make the conclusion that enough time to see if the candidate fits the qualification listed in chapter 3. Now, take into consideration that some elders in Ephesus became messengers of Satan who are preaching a different gospel, who started well but went off the path of faithfulness and obedience and now are given to all sorts of, of, of um, sordid gain and greedy and, and, and pride and self-glory. Taking that in consideration, in anticipating that the church in Timothy would be tempted to rush in the process of replace these elders, right? Because there's a need. They have pastors to serve. Now they, they strayed away. Now this church is growing Ephesus. There's a need for more elders to serve, for more God leaders to serve. In anticipating that this church perhaps would rush in to bring men to serve and share the load with Timothy. Paul warns them, be careful. Take your time. And the reason is that if they bring in an unqualified elder who perhaps is in sin, he will cause more damage than help. And if that happens, Timothy and the church will be partner in this man's sin of serving as an unqualified elder. In other words, it would be the church's responsibility. It would fall on them. Timothy and the church are to keep themselves pure. How they would do this? By avoiding hurried ordination and perhaps bringing in someone who is not called to ministry. And even worse, someone who is in sin. 
Verse 24 to 25 further clarify the reason for a careful ordination process. Paul says this, While some sins are obvious and evident, others are less obvious. And if given time, they will eventually be revealed. And the same is true for good works. Some are evident in the person's life, while others are not. But if given time, these good works will come to light. So the reason for this careful examination process is twofold. First, to avoid ordaining an unqualified elder. And second, to avoid rejecting a qualified elder. Because as human beings, if you, if you notice, we tend to judge by appearances. <laughs> we tend to judge and make conclusions for what the things that we see and hear. And Paul is warning Timothy in the church, give it the time. You do not know what is in someone's heart, either for good or for bad. Someone might be in sin and you think he's a wonderful, qualified elder. And when you bring them, him, him into ministry, you realize that he is a wolf clothed in sheep's um, this, this, this guy is in sheep's clothing. Or, the person might be a qualified elder, perhaps not as polished as others, not as eloquent or educated or, or gifted as others. And the church might be tempted just to dismiss this. Not very good. Paul is warning then. You do not know what's going on in someone's heart. You do not know who I have called to ministry. So give time. And it will become clear. How long this process would be? It would depend from context to context. From church to church. Now if you notice, if you're following as I'm explaining this text... I skipped verse 23. Some of you noticed, right? And I did that because the message is quite clear. Timothy was drinking too much water and not enough wine. Not really, right? Yeah, not really. He's not saying that. Some have used this passage to prove that wine is good for your health. It is in the Bible. Right? You can't go wrong with things in the Bible. <laughs> Duh. Oh, if Paul allowed Timothy to drink wine and even encouraged him, why cannot? Why cannot drink it? I think it's a, it was a fair question or a fair assumption. Friends, but if we look into this text and we are following this text, this, this, not, this, this does not fit well with the context. Paul is neither defending the idea of drinking wine nor talking against it. Right? And again, I, I think 
What a commentator said about this, I think he's, he's right, and I will quote him. He says this, In making this recommendation, Paul is merely reflecting a widespread use of wine for medical purposes among both Jews and Greeks in the first century. So he's just reflecting a common practice in the first century as he encouraged Timothy for this frequent stomach issues that he's having to have some wine. Not a whole bottle. He's not being, don't do it, do it. Just saying, this is good. Just, just add it and it will make you feel better. Now, we live in the 21st century. We have medicine. We are living in a different context. So, um, so let's say this, that the Bible, what we are seeing here, the Bible is not condemning or encouraging in regards of, sell, of, of, of drinking wine. And I will just leave that there, all right? Further questions about it? Damien's here after the service. So please come to him. And I will be glad to pray for you. <laughs> um, so... I want to conclude by saying this. And I'll just emphasize my first point again. I know that I've been repetitive, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's worth to emphasize this. Just look at me on, 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 on this slide. I wanted to, if I wanted to take something home, I wanted to take this. Why on one hand, it is the elder's responsibility to care for the church. On the other hand, it is the church's responsibility to care for the elders. And in doing so, we are caring for each other. Double honor is also a double duty for the church to show their leaders appropriate appreciation and financial support. In my observation, I would say that a healthy church is intrinsically connected with healthy leadership. Healthy leadership is marked by a faithful proclamation of God's Word. And a faithful proclamation of God's Word is hard work and a weekly spiritual battle that can only go forward by and through God's enabling grace and power. By supporting this church with your financial offerings, we are freeing the elders of any anxiety about how they are going to pay their bills and allow them to devote themselves wholeheartedly to their work. In doing this, we as a church members are being obedient to the Lord and fulfilling our commitment first to Him and then to this local body. And as the elders in the church live in obedience to the Lord, the church is a living organism, is blessed. And we all bring glory and honor to Jesus who said, the worker deserves his wages. The mission to preach the gospel of salvation through faith, by grace, is no longer a task of 12 brave fishermen in the first century. It is no longer secluded to Jews, but it's a mission 
of the church in 21st century for all people. And we all have been called to take part in this great commission. If you are a member of this congregation, this is your mission as well. And you have, as part of this local congregation, responsibilities and privileges, or privileges and responsibilities. You have the privilege to share in the glory of Christ, His reward, and the responsibility, along with this, with your brothers and sisters, to carry on the Great Commission. And those who live and spend themselves in the work of the kingdom will truly experience the grace of what it means to be blessed by giving more, not receiving more. And as we will give ourselves wholeheartedly, as we all give ourselves wholeheartedly to God's work, we follow the example of Jesus who came to give and serve. And by doing it, He conquered the grave and gave us eternal life. Amen. Church, my call for all of you, for all of us, let us adopt this Christ-like attitude, knowing that those who labor for the gospel, meaning all of us, we will receive at the due time the wages for our work from the very hands of God because the laborer deserves his wages. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the mission of the church, as we think about our role to play in this in this mission, our incapacity to do anything outside of your grace. Lord, we are just humble by the fact that you call us to serve you. You call us to take part in this great work that you are doing on earth. Restoring humanity back to you. Planting your kingdom on this earth. Lord, we pray that as we're thinking about elders and we as church members, that help us to love you more. Help us, Lord, to love your word more. Help us to have a, a greater view of the local church in our role to play in this local body, Lord. Help us not to follow the course of the world. We have a low view of the church. But help us to have a higher view of the church. Because the church, you died for her. It is your bride. And you are adorning us for that great day when we will all receive the crown of glory. Not just the elders. All of us who receive the crown of glory. Our work is not in vain. And we know it, Lord. Just help us to believe on that and be consistent, persistent, 
in our battles, in our difficulties and struggles, and strive to use, to spend ourselves to give more for the cause of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to do that as a church, Lord. We look around and we see a world confused, do not know where they are going, Lord, calling evil good and good evil. And here we stand, Lord, as a church with the truth that can transform. We have the words of life. So help us, Lord, all of us, especially in this context of this church plant in North Arlington, to be this lighthouse in this community, Lord. To be a lighthouse where we are for the glory of our Son. Lord, we pray these things in your great name. Amen. Amen. So let's take the next few seconds just to reflect. And after that, we'll share in the God's, on the Lord's Supper.